afternoon, everyone. My name is Adam Williams, and you're listening to another episode of Retail Redeveloped. I could not be more excited today because I'm going to nerd out with someone and talk about malls. Now, not just any mall. We're talking about Mall of America. Possibly the most interesting mall that's ever been built uh, in the United States and, and built at a time that, uh, or talking at a time that malls are, are the absolute center of the retail world because, I mean, they're changing. Let's face it, malls are not the same thing that they were, you know, certainly 50 years ago. Uh, but there's very interesting players in the market that are trying to keep them extremely relevant and in the conversation every day. I'm being joined today by Jill Renslow. Now, who is Jill? Jill is the executive VP of marketing for Mall of America. And Mall of America, if you don't, I'm going to let Jill tell everybody why they should know Mall of America. A lot of, a lot of our listeners are on the East Coast, so you might not know Mall of America like, like some others. But Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. And do us a favor, before we, we start talking all things retail, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we can get into really uh, what Mall of America is. Sounds great. Thanks, Adam. So excited to be here and I love talking about retail. So my background, um, I've worked at Mall of America actually my entire career. I started at the mall as an intern right out of college, um, started in the events department because I wanted to, you know, rub elbows with celebrities and be part of the events team. Um, and so I started there and worked my way through the marketing channels and now really just oversee everything that's related to our brand and especially consumer facing. So everything from events and public relations, um, social media, digital marketing, advertising, tourism, sponsorship, all those fun areas. Um, and what I love is the fact that everything we create, we can see it every day. So we walk in, inside the mall and we can interact with our guests and see the emotion that is evoked when they walk into our property. Because like you said, we are not a typical mall. Even though malls in our name, um, we are truly an entertainment destination. And so I love the fact that we can create experiences, events, promotions, and really those brand points um, that mean something to people and that really excite them when they come here. So Jill, you, you mentioned that Mall of America isn't your typical mall. This, this isn't some kind of, of strip center or mall where you've got Macy's on one end and another big box on the other end and, and some small shop. Mall of America is way more than that. And, and I'd love for you to touch on what makes you guys different and, and just explain to people the scale of, of this asset that we're talking about. Absolutely. So I'll paint a picture for everybody because if you haven't been to Mall of America, we're located in Minnesota. Um, we actually are turning 29 years old this year. So our big 30th anniversary is next year. Um, but what's important is we've evolved every single year. So imagine we have a racetrack type of format. So we have, you know, we're a big square where we have the anchors on the corners. But we actually, one of our major anchors is in the middle. We have a seven acre theme park with Nickelodeon. So it's called Nickelodeon Universe. Um, it used to be Camp Snoopy when we first opened. So we had the Peanuts characters. And about 12 years ago, transferred over to Nickelodeon. We also have 520 stores. So that is a variety of different brands. And that small shop all, all the way up to corporate brands. Um, we also have 60 places to dine. And that's from fast food to sit down restaurants and another dozen attractions. Um, several concepts from Merlin Entertainment, movie theaters, um, the escape room type of concept. So we have a little bit of everything. And what's really unique is we have two connected hotels. So we have a JW Marriott and Radisson Blue. So you can literally come stay. You don't even need to go outside of Minnesota because um, as far as obviously the winters get a little cold, you can come straight from the airport through our light rail transit, stay inside, play, dine and eat and have a great time. 
So walk me through, obviously you, you touched on the climate in, in Minnesota. I, I assume maybe that was a little the impetus behind creating this, you know, giant indoor playground of, of sorts. Walk me through the vision. Who was the madman that, that thought this was a good idea? I don't even want to get into how in the hell he got it funded, uh, <laughs> but walk me through a little bit of the history before we get into the future and the present and, and, and what the mall is doing and what the mall is doing to stay relevant. Walk me, like start over for me. Walk, walk me through how did this idea come to fruition and who is the, the mad genius or, or, or team of, of, of mad men and women that, that put this together? So our current owners, who's triple five, that's the Grimazian family. They actually come from Edmonton, Canada. They were the visionaries of Mall of America. Um, and as you noted, Minnesota, to a lot of people, was not necessarily the prime location to build this mega mall. Um, but they had this vision and they came together with other partners, um, you know, nearly 30 years ago now and had this concept of this multi-purpose, multi-use facility. And it actually was a future or a previous location of our pro sports teams. It was a MetLife Stadium. Um, I'm sorry, the Met, Met Stadium. Um, I'm thinking MetLife because we have a sister property out in New Jersey and they're adjacent to the MetLife Stadium. So there's this great connection with sports and our history. Um, but a lot of the proposals that were coming through were more office towers and more traditional development concepts. But the Grimazians came forward with this concept that no one really thought was going to work. Um, but the leadership in Bloomington and Minnesota at that time between the governor and the mayors were supportive. And they were, um, you know, just they could see this vision. And we're across the street from the international airport. So location was key. Um, in breaking ground and opening in 1992, um, you know, we hit the ground running. We had 150,000 people sitting at our front doors when we were opening. Um, and ever since, we constantly evolve and look at new concepts. And we have property to the north and to the east that we will continue to develop. So we're five and a half million square feet today. Um, the master plan is over 10 million square feet. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, that's you, you take somebody with some serious vision to say, you know, we've got five and a half million square feet and we need, we need a lot more. That That's amazing. Walk me through, obviously last year was, was, a was a huge outlier and uh, in, in this year as well, but walk me through kind of peak numbers, like how many people were, were coming into mall of America uh, at the peak and, and, and was the peak two years ago, 10 years ago, like walk me, walk me through just how many humans are, are visiting this asset. So Pre-COVID, we welcomed 40 million visitors a year, um, and that was pretty consistent um, year over year. And what is unique for us is we have a mix of locals and tourists that visit Mall of America. And so when you would have um, a lot of strength in the local market, that's when you, know, you might have more of that back to school time frame. Um, but we also have a lot of tourists that would come during spring break, summer travel, and during the holiday season, and it's not just the drive market. We get people from around the world that come here because a key factor is we don't have any sales tax on clothing and shoes. And like I said, the airport is across the street, so it's super convenient for people, even if they just have layovers. Minnesota is right in the middle of the country, so you're like two and a half hours from anywhere in the continental U.S., and then it's a great layover location for international travel. So having that mix of tourism and local guests really helps us balance that out. So 40 million guests um, is pretty consistent and that what drives great traffic across our entire property and what makes it really attractive for brands to be here. So how do you think the, the family that, that started this was able 
because obviously what malls as they sit today and and i'm using generalities obviously just your standard mall that's in your neighborhood or in, in your town in your city uh was was not like this and and in the last five years at least pre-covid everything shifted to this hyper experiential uh ex- experience that 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 people kind of crave now it seems like you guys were a little ahead of the curve in kind of blurring the line between shopping uh, and experience, how how do you think, you know, how do you think that was achieved, and and do you think that you guys were just you know seeing into the future a little bit? I definitely think you know from a leadership perspective, the Grammysians had that vision and knew that having that mixed use was going to be something exciting that would attract people from around the world. They truly wanted families to be able to come, connect, and enjoy the experience and. They delivered. Um, and what's fantastic is we have the agility to move quickly. And it's not just about retail and entertainment. I mean, we have we have health, um, we have medical here, we've had a school here, you know, we have the the hotels, we really have we have an office tower. We keep evolving what that mixed use looks like because when one industry might go through some challenges, um, the other mixed uses kind of balance that all out. So I think that's really important. Um, and being a leader in that space, you've seen this evolution now with other malls. They're bringing more entertainment in. They're bringing, you know, fitness clubs or hospitality. And so you're seeing that that's now becoming a more um, common trend with other shopping centers because they recognize that they need to diversify in order to be strong and go through some of these challenging times. Because last year it was a challenge, um, but because we had the diversity in our tenant mix allowed us to push through and to work together. And I would say a big focus that what we've evolved forward with is looking at that convenience and really finding the intersection of where that physical experience still exists and people still thrive for that. But how do you bring that convenience and the tools and the digital components and find that unique intersection that still makes us relevant and successful as we look towards the future? Jill, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind unpacking that a little bit more? I'd love to understand because that that is a, that is a huge uh, discussion point that that I have uh, in you know how to keep these retailers re- relevant. You know, some some retailers are now just kind of a jumping off point for last mile delivery, or I mean, you look at how Walmart is using their footprint as basically just a giant logistics system. Um, I'd, I'd love to understand a little bit more about how you guys are looking at that as either a problem or, you know, potential solution or potential uh, kind of competitive advantage. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. You know, it's not easy. Um, we've talked with so many different partners over the years with, you know, people having all going to go online. And the key is you have to find that balance. People want different experiences. And that's where you're seeing great success with brands that differentiate what the experience is online with what it is in the physical store space. You need to have consistency from a brand perspective, but the physical space needs to offer something different. And I think a great example of that is Lululemon. Like we have one of their flagship stores here and they have done an amazing job of still providing their products in um, what they have online from a brand consistent standpoint. But here at Mall of America, they have a studio where they host classes. They have a fuel up bar where they have beverages and snacks and things that are right on trend with their brand. And people just come in droves to come experience this physical store because it is still consistent with what they would expect, but it offers something different. And I think that's really, really important as we look to retailers in the future, 
those are the ones that are going to continue to succeed. They evolve, they innovate, they have unique partnerships, whether it's with tech partners, um, but they really embrace what their brand experiences is in a physical space. And I think that's so important to know. So how would, how would you say that you guys have changed your outlook or perspective in the last 18 months? Obviously, the nothing has been hit harder than the mall world and the, and the physical brick and mortar world. You know, how, like what lessons have you guys learned and, and how do you think you're going to apply them? Obviously, right now is kind of a, a interesting time because you know, COVID we thought was a little bit more in the rearview mirror and, and, and we're starting to hear and see some, some concerning numbers. But um, how, are, how are you guys taking those lessons and, and using them to stay relevant and using them to keep charging forward? Because obviously with a you know, five and a half million square foot asset, I mean, you guys have no choice but to you know, keep the pedal down and, and, and keep changing and evolving and staying relevant. Yeah, I think a key piece is continue to connect with your consumers, educate them on the changes. I can say this last year, there were so many changes back and forth. It was enough just to keep our own internal team and tenants in the know of what was going on, but then educating our guests of what to expect when they were coming. Because again, we have people coming from every state and uh, you know, making sure that they knew our protocols and safety was obviously number one priority. Um, people first, making sure our team, our tenants, everybody was safe, but that we also created that environment for our guests. Um, but with that, we recognize like, um, actually, it was very rewarding when things opened back up again and we were at full capacity that people came back. They felt good. They wanted to have that interaction. They wanted to have entertainment, be together with people. Um, you know, we had how did, make- how did the sales numbers how did the sales numbers look when when you guys opened back up fully? I mean, did they bounce back to pre-pandemic? We've actually this past year, we had over a hundred tenants that had record-breaking sales numbers, um, and many categories. And you're hearing it in athletic wear, athleisure has been huge. Athletic shoes, electronics, home, oh. home. Yes, I mean people want to make <laughs> their world more comfortable. Um, but that's what's been key. Sales have been fantastic. I'd say from the traffic perspective, though, traffic has been lighter, but we are making progress. We are at this point about 10 to 15 percent down to 2019 but the sales are strong. We also have to recognize we've modified our operating hours. We've had different times of the year that have you know capacity restrictions, but as we move forward, we're learning things and it's just a different business model. But we also um, recognize that you know we're making great progress from a leasing perspective. We've had 40 new leases signed in this last year, even under COVID. Like people recognize right. that the shopping center done right can still be very successful. And we have the eyeballs here. So Sometimes it's not about sales per square foot for some of the tenants. It's about the brand awareness and the billboard they can have in a destination that has the traffic that we do. So it's been interesting. The other note I would say is dwell time has been um, adjusted throughout this pandemic. We noticed when things were shut down, especially with attractions and restaurants, dwell time had shrunk considerably because people were in and out. They were shopping. They were getting what they needed. But now that we have everything back open again, our dwell time has increased and got back to the 2019 levels because now they can shop, they can play, they can stick around a little bit longer. But it'll be interesting to see as we head you know, into the fall and winter and as the Delta variant numbers go up, hopefully we'll still see that dwell time. But it'll... What, what is a peak dwell time? Like, what do you guys... What, what gets you excited from a dwell time perspective? And, and just if anybody's listening doesn't understand dwell time, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just how long can people stay on the property and the longer the dwell time, the more likely you are to get your credit card back out and and spend and spend a little bit more money. So dwell time on on any asset, 
um, is, is huge. That's not based on, you know, a, a quick trip gas station where you're, where it's designed to get in out in and out quickly. These assets, it's all about, you know, keeping people in the mousetrap a little longer. Yeah. So we like to see around a three hour dwell time, um, wow. on property and that's, um, typical for us, but it's, um, you know, we've seen that down to about two hours, um, with, when it was just focused on shopping. So it's great to see those numbers getting back up to three. So you mentioned a, a sales per square foot uh, comment, and that's something that, that's been, uh, it's, a really, it's a really timely question because I'm, I'm seeing the metrics of how brick and mortar stores are measuring success. It seems to be going through a change. And I'd love to hear you guys' perspective on how you look at this, because to, for people that don't do this for a living every day, uh, sales per square foot is massively important for retailers and it's, and it's how you track a good store from a bad store, right? If you're doing X per square foot, that's a success. But now because of, of the, just the dominance of Omnichannel, like I might go into Lululemon, for example, see a shirt that I really like, but they didn't have it in my size. I go home and order it on an app or, or on online. And, and that's really changing the way that people are, actually receiving their goods. Have you guys started looking at other metrics? And this is a hard thing. This is, this is changing in real time, right? So I don't think anybody quite has an answer for it, but are you guys having internal discussions on how you can measure true success of a store in other metrics other than just sales per square foot? Yeah, it varies now with brands having different measures of success when we meet with the different brands, it's important to understand what that is for them so that we can team up with them to whether it's, you know, helping on their social channels and amplifying their messages through our efforts, or if it's signage, or if it's activations in their store, if it's working with influencers, um, there's so many different facets, but we're seeing a significant shift in that brand awareness component and a lot, you know, partnering with us at Mall of America to, to really strengthen what that experience can look like. And we have a very diverse strategy when you look at leasing, because we do have a lot of small tenants. We have over 150 small businesses, but I shouldn't say small tenants, small businesses, because usually their, their um, footprint can be in a variety of different sizes, but it's really important for us, for entrepreneurs to be able to have um, the opportunity here. We don't want it to look like just because we're a big property, a big brand, that it's big rent. Like some depends on the brand, um, but we're really, we customize a lot of the, our um, leases with tenants because our owners were entrepreneurs um, at heart. They are, and they want to make sure that they give that opportunity to all sizes of businesses. And that's what makes us really unique. I mean, that's the, the key ingredient when you go into a shopping center to see those unique brands and things that you can't get online. And when I talked about before, where it's, you want to activate so that it's different, but some of these smaller brands don't have those online channels like the bigger brands do. And so we really customize, we work with brands um, to make it work um, so that they can have success in a big property like MOA. So do you guys, for these small entrepreneurs, do you guys have a pop-up program or some kind of streamlined program? Because if you do a, a Lululemon lease, you know, God help you, it's, it's going to cost you know, $40,000 in legal fees. And do you guys have a streamlined process that you use for kind of the smaller guys that, that you want to take a shot on? It's not a 10 year lease. It's, it's a, you know, come in here for three, six months, you know, it's a licensing agreement and, and let's see how it goes. Yeah. We literally have pop-up stores that might be here for a weekend that support an event that we're hosting. For example, we've housed 
like the Super Bowl Final Four. We work with some of those partners where they just pop up retail for a very short duration. Some of them are just seasonal. So it might just be like a holiday pop up um, or it might be a full year and then up to five, 10 years. And so it, it varies. And that's what I love about our property is that our ownership get it. They get the fact that right now some brands just want to test drive to see if it's a good fit for them. And so we're open to that. And we recognize that we want to showcase that as well, what we're capable of doing. And majority of them that do pop-ups transition into a longer term opportunity for us. I've always thought that pop-ups, especially for for a, a space of your size, well, maybe not you guys as much because it, it is so much tourism based, and you have a lot of people that are only going to go there once a year or whatever. Uh, but but I love the idea of having a, a certain percentage of your of your GLA dedicated to pop-ups, just because you know, it gives me a reason to go back to a to an asset. You know, like oh, I just heard that they're going to do this this month. Uh, it gives me it gives me a way to get back there. Um, talk to me a little bit about. You guys are obviously heavy, heavily invested in experiential, right? More so than than any mall of of its kind until very recently. Uh, and you walk me through if the long term goal and vision has changed. Just because, I mean, a couple of years ago, the our, our, our I say a couple of years ago, the last few years have, have kind of flown by. You know. Food doesn't taste good on Amazon, so we we want to we want to go out and really double and triple down on on our restaurant experiences. Experiences don't happen on Amazon. Let's get roller coasters. Let's get the Nickelodeon stuff. I mean, obviously, all of that made it made a ton of sense. And now, when it's a little harder to gather as many people, how are you guys kind of reacting to that? Is it is it making you kind of change your focus, change direction, or, or are you looking at at this as just you know, a bump in the road that everybody's experiencing at once. And, and you think your model is, is sound uh, moving forward. I definitely don't think this is a bump in the road. This is just, it's a push forward for everybody. And you hear from so many people, it accelerated their roadmap they already planning. Um, for us, when we first opened, we were about 80% retail, 20% dining entertainment. And that, that percentage continues to shift because we recognize that People want that experience. We want to have more attractions. We want to have more dining opportunities. So you're going to see that get closer and closer to more of a 50-50 split. And so I mentioned our sister property in the east on the East Coast. They are opening at more of that 50-50. So we are getting... And it, tell, they, everybody, tell everybody your sister property. Show it some love. It's American Dream. It's in East Rutherford, right by the MetLife Stadium, um, right off the Turnpike. So they have a very strong concentration of entertainment and a little less on the retail side, but that's where we're shifting. And that's what's important because it's just finding that balance and taking advantage of the trends that are out there. I mean, we have a huge focus right now. We're looking at e-gaming and really looking at what does that look like in our property from a tenant perspective, but also events and activating that. We typically have 400 events a year. So that's in addition to the existing attractions and entertainment that's in the building. That's common area activations, it's live music, it's celebrity signings and performances, and it really brings the property to life. It's been really hard during COVID because we haven't been able to do those events like we typically do. It's a little bit more passive in nature right now because we don't want to you know, gather those huge crowds, but we that's something that's signature for us, and we will get back to that, but it looks different as well. We have the opportunity to do a little bit more um, live streaming with some of our events and connecting with um, some of our you know, consumers that aren't maybe on property. And we had a unique activation for holiday last year that we're building on this year where we actually had 
um, kind of a remote Santa. And so we had a candy cane institute where guests could come and interact with elves and get a chance to still talk with Santa. And it was supposed to be in person, but the week before Black Friday, things changed on us and we had to do everything virtual. But it made us recognize that people can still love our brand and experience it, but in different ways. And so we will look towards having physical event experiences, but also having that virtual for people that might be around the world that can't connect with us in person. So walk, walk me through something that fascinates me in the mall world is a trend I'm seeing of, of kind of asset amplification and, you know, densification. That's a lot of occasions in, in one sentence. I apologize. Uh, walk me through how you guys look at this. Like if you look at your traditional mall, you have this huge sea of parking that's, that's surrounding you know, one building or a building with some spokes off of it. And, a lot of times the, the malls that will survive or have really good locations. And you're starting to see, to your point, hotels, uh, you know, maybe even uh, apartments, uh, different, different out parcels that, that make, that make the asset more interesting. Uh, walk, walk me through. It sounds like you guys have, have been ahead of the curve for 20 years on this, but walk me th- through how you guys see using your, your asset and your land uh, it, in the future and, and, and how you plan to kind of keep doubling down on the property. So one of the projects that's on our radar um, that's next up for development is a water park um, with Minnesota in Minnesota, indoor, indoor, right, indoor. Park. I, I should clarify say. that everything here is indoor, um, but having a roof that makes you feel like you're outdoor. Right. Um, we have a lot of skylights just to remind people that it's, it's still nice outside. Um, but the water park would be significant. It'd be like about 250,000 square feet in space. Um, so it's not your typical hotel water park. It is destination driven. And this is because with sister, we also have a sister property up in Canada that is called West Edmonton Mall. They've had a water park for years and have been very successful. Um, now at American Dream, there's also, there's a DreamWorks water park in that venue. And it's just a great compliment to the building. Um, it's an opportunity for families to have another day here in Minnesota to just have a lot of fun. Um, but think of it more of a resort type of getaway. So not only kids, um, but adults will enjoy um, similarly the experience to just escape and be able to really have a chance to enjoy um, water activities and um, really just be able to kind of step away from the day to day and enjoy. Um, so and course having a connected hotel will make it very convenient for them to be able to um, have a lot of fun here in Minnesota but that's next on our plans um, just going through some um, financial packages and, and partners to get that launched but we're hopeful to get shovels in the ground here within the next year. And any other plans that have you guys excited um, about the asset I mean, obviously I mean see aquarium cinemas 520 stores Nickelodeon universe you know roller coasters like, like what else what else are you guys looking at e-gaming you mentioned is there anything else that that is that would be considered uh, avant-garde or cutting edge or just a little wonky that 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 you think that you guys are going to implement that that'll turn some heads so i have to be careful because i can't um, give too Nobody, much nobody's money, watching but i can just, tell you like some, some of the different topics and um, categories that we're looking at when you look at event venues like kind of multi-purpose venues that can be used whether it be for e-gaming or sporting events or conferences um we have nearly 40 hotels in close proximity to the mall so we have a lot of um, group sales space but not large venue spaces and so that's definitely something that we're considering 
um, with all that hotel um, capacity, it allows us to have those multi-day events because we can um, house a lot of those guests that come into the marketplace. I would also say medical tourism is another area that um, is very interesting to us. Minnesota is known for their medical innovation, especially with having Mayo Clinic here just about an hour south of Mall of America. But um, a lot of opportunity there, especially with the close proximity to the airport. Um, and a unique facet is actually Minnesota is on the ballot um, for the World Expo in 2027. And so what's really unique is Bloomington, Minnesota is actually the location that will be on the bid. It doesn't get voted on until next year, but there is a slight possibility that Minnesota will be hosting the World Expo in a couple of years. And our site adjacent to us would be the venue that would be um, built up for that. So we would have the legacy components from the World's Fair here adjacent to Mall of America. That's, that's very, very cool. Um, all right, Jill, you've already been really, really generous with your time. You're, you're busy trying to market the biggest freaking mall ever. So I'm going to let you get back to that. But before I, I always like to hit on, on a few kind of quick knee jerk questions to finish things off. But before we do that, tell everybody how they can connect with you, how they can hear more about Mall of America and just how they can learn more about what you guys are doing, both um, at, at your property and your sister property. Yeah. So with For Mall of America, first, if you've never visited us, come in person. We would love to visit you and have you come experience our property. But we are on every social channel, um, Mall of America handle on, you know, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, Facebook, we're on all of them. Um, for myself personally, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best space to find me and connect. Um, I always love to broaden my network and see what else is out there. I'm inspired, especially by those that are leaders and innovators outside the retail space. I think that we get a lot of inspiration from other industries and what's working um, and how consumers are interacting with us. So we'd love to hear from people. Awesome. All right. You ready for some knee-jerk questions? Sure. I'm ready. All right. So you, you can't look at any headline having to do with retail without seeing that the you know the clickbait title of you know malls are dead and retail brick and mortar is dead. Uh, we, we've all seen it. We've all heard it. We've all heard the talking heads. What is, what is your reaction when you when you see something like that or hear something like that? I would challenge that any day, any moment. Um, I live and breathe it every day, and I see the excitement that consumers have to be in the physical space. We're human, and we love. The interaction with others and with our family and friends to be able to get out and do things. Um, we were all cooped up for a long time. <laughs> and so everybody was excited to get out. And it was just rewarding to see that we're still thriving. And it's really, it's challenging as last year was and as even this year. It's really exciting to see the changes that are coming and what the future of retail looks like. Yeah, I agree. Any any new tech that that you saw during the pandemic that you mentioned how the pandemic was a huge accelerator for, for our industry. Any tech that, that you saw during the pandemic or maybe even, even at the tail end that, that you thought was really interesting that you think is here to stay? I would say one component that we've been playing a lot with is live stream shopping. Um, you know, some of the other components like curbside delivery, like we're still figuring that out from a mall perspective because it's a lot easier for an individual retailer, but it's harder for a mall. But when you look at live stream shopping, you're still able to connect with your customer base, still have fun personality and be able to showcase a variety of different brands in your environment. Um, and it, it provides convenience. You can shop different times of the day. You can connect um, and be exposed to brands that you might not be aware of, um, especially if you start 
noting your shopping preferences. So we started that on a variety of different platforms, but we found that as we're evolving with that is we need to connect with the fans that we already have on our social channels. And so we're playing around more with Instagram and Facebook of what that looks like for live stream shopping. And we're having a lot of fun with it. We're learning a lot, um, but I think it's an opportunity for us to just continue to um, explore in the future. Biggest leadership lesson, either you personally learned during the pandemic or maybe as, as a company, uh, as a culture, what, what would you say a, a leadership lesson that you guys were able to, able to learn and grow on um, during this pandemic? I have a couple of them. I would say always lead with people first, um, your team, your stakeholders, um, you know, stay close and, and have that be the lead in, in decision-making. Um, communication and collaboration have been so important and we've doubled down in that area. And it was really important to keep everybody in the know of what we were doing because there's so many moving pieces and so many things people couldn't control that working together was incredibly important. And not even just in your own four walls, but the partners that you work with, we collaborated with our local shopping centers and with our national shopping partners and attraction partners to just figure out how we're going to get through this together. So I think that's so important. And I also say, just continue to take risks, try new things, fail quickly and just keep moving forward. Um, Cause if we don't take those risks, we're never going to know what's possible. And I think if everybody can, um, you know, charter new paths and try new things, um, we're all going to move forward together. Absolutely. Biggest threat through the pandemic and biggest opportunity coming out of it. Ooh, biggest threat. Um, to the asset. I would say, I just, for me, it's just the unknown um, of, you know, what, with not being able to have control over what's happening um, of just what tomorrow is going to look like. And I think what's key is having that focus on the future to give everyone um, hope that things will be okay. But I think it's just that control factor, I think was the biggest threat for me. Absolutely. Um, biggest opportunity is the fact that, um, you know, we're seeing great success already and knowing that, um, you know, with these modifications that we're making, whether it's through innovation or um, connecting with customers in, in different ways and just making sure you stay purposeful, like you do things for the right reason. Don't just chase shiny objects or things just because everybody else is doing them, do what's right for your brand and what's right for your customer. And that will always be your North star to lead you in the right direction. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you've been absolutely gracious with your time. Once again, Jill Renslow, executive VP marketing and business development from all of America. My name's Adam Williams. You've been listening to retail redeveloped and, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure.